Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, through chapter 13, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while, because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, She's my sister, so that I took her as my wife? Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abram called on the name of the Lord there. The word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Uh, Just one more quick thing. As MK mentioned, we still have um, ballots. These ballots are for the office of elder here at Trinity. If you're a member of our church and you didn't have a chance to vote last Sunday, remember, uh, kids, if you have professed your faith and gone through our confirmation class and joined our church as a member, this is for you as well. We encourage all members to vote. Uh, use the ballot and put it in the offering box that's there at the door. And then voting will be closed today and we'll announce the results uh, early this coming week. This fall we are in a teaching series on the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis called Living by Faith. The story of Abraham is the foundational story in the Bible for understanding what it means to have faith, what it means to live by faith. 
the books of the New Testament all go back to Abraham when speaking about faith. One example is from the book of Romans in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, to be a Christian is to follow in the footsteps of our father Abraham. Follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. So even though Abram, Abraham lived Thousands of years before Jesus, the New Testament tells us his story is like a map. It's like a map for Christians to use. We see his footsteps and then we go that way. We follow that trail. When we respond to the call of God in faith, like we saw Abram do last week in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the passage right before this, when we begin a relationship with God, By faith, where will it take us? What will happen? What should we expect? Abram's story is one of the best places to look in the Bible to answer those questions. It shows us, it tells us. Having a map is so important. And I was reading something this week that said and reminded me of Jen... Gen X, so we have some Gen Xers here in the house, I know. Gen X is the last generation that experienced like analog life, right? Apart from the internet and all that stuff. And so we had maps to get around. And just in case you didn't know what a map was, I brought this. I used to use this all the time when I moved to California. I used this map. This says Los Angeles, but it also includes Orange County, for me to understand where have I just moved? Why is there another city behind every single road and turn that I take? And this is kind of small for a map, it's more like an atlas, but uh, we have some slides, what a, like a fold-out map looks like. These are the kinds of things we used to need. <laughs> we used to need this to get around in the world and to figure out where in the world we were going and to make our place uh, from point A to point B. And this guy's very, he's, he's probably, you know, a millennial. He's not, he doesn't know how to use a map or something like that. That's why he's so surprised. And you can go to the next uh, slide there. That's just showing you that when you fold it out, you have to like figure out, you're in the car and you're folding it out and it's really hard to fold it back. That's the hardest and most frustrating part of a map. But that, that's a map. Without a good map, We can become disoriented and confused and lost. This is also true of the life of faith. We need a good map. This morning as we consider this passage, I'd like us to consider one major reason why we have disappointment in our faith. We can experience disillusionment in our faith with God. And how the teaching of this passage can prepare us for when that comes. Maybe that time is right now for you. This reason that we'll look at extends to and applies to those whose disappointment has reached the level of what has been called or is termed deconstruction or de-churching. There's a lot going on with those terms and those things, many reasons why and how to understand and respond. But the message of this passage can help you if you were there or feel like you might be going there or were there or if it can help the people you know who maybe are. 
And the reason is why we have disappointment often and disillusionment, even very, very deep, is because we don't have the right map, or maybe any map. Now, this passage we're about to uh, look at together, it doesn't have the whole map of faith, but it has three important things we need to know about the map, what's on the map. So number one, and we can, we can go to um, point one now on the slides. This part of Abram's story teaches us something crucial about living by faith, something that if we don't know to expect can cause us a lot of grief, a lot of disappointment, a lot of confusion. In my own experience, I've experienced this a lot as a Christian and as a pastor, I see this a lot. We have to return to this often, which is this, expect a journey. Look again at verses 4 through 9, chapter 12. What did it look like for Abram after he heard the call of God? He takes a radical step. He has to leave his country, go wherever God would show him. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going, as Hebrews 11 says. These verses tell us, okay, what did that look like? Verse 5, he set out. Verse 6, he passed through the land. Verse 8, and then he moved on. And then verse 9, and this is the key phrase here, Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Abram journeyed by stages. This is what we should expect in the life of faith, a journeying by stages faith. Faith is not just for the beginning of the Christian life, how we respond to the call of God and we are saved, we're in relationship with God. Do you believe? Yes or no? Yes, I believe. That's not where it ends. Faith is not just the beginning of the Christian life. Faith, in one sense, is the Christian life. Abram journeyed by stages. His trust, his reliance, his belief that started the journey needed to grow and deepen and be strengthened as he journeyed by stages. Abram goes from one land, his, his homeland, his people, and goes to the land. And he doesn't just arrive and say, that's it, I'm here. I did the faith thing. And so I, I've arrived and everything makes sense. I have so much certainty, I can move on to whatever's next. The stage, the next stage, right? When everything gets clearer and easier and more certain, and I understand what God is doing perfectly, and it all is just kind of making sense. Abram could say, God, I, I just left behind everything, which is a radical step. What kind of faith it took to do that? What else could there be for Abram to learn? How else do I need to grow? God, let's get to the blessing part and the great nation part and the being a blessing part. Let's get it going. But we see here that's not what happened. Abram is journeying. He receives comfort and assurance from God in verse 7 where God says, while he's there journeying, to your offspring I will give this land that you're in. But he keeps on journeying. How long? How long did his journey last? Hebrews 11 tells us, looking back, it says, by faith, I think we have this on the slide, by faith, Abram stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. 
living in tents, as did his son Isaac and grandson Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. Verse 13, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Another word for foreigner or temporary resident is a journeyer. They confessed, I'm a journeyer. For Abram, the journey of faith, of learning to trust God, to grow a deeper and more mature faith, lasted his whole life. The lesson, this is what we should all expect. So much spiritual discouragement and disappointment comes, maybe from not knowing this or forgetting it. Losing sight of this, grabbing on to this idea of arrival. Things, things we say or think like this. I should understand by now. I shouldn't feel this way if I'm a real Christian. I shouldn't sin this way. I shouldn't have this doubt. Shouldn't I have more certainty by now? Do you ever think? Do you ever feel these things? We all want to arrive. We all want to attain a certain level of maturity to get to that place of progress, to get to the goal of our faith, to have that level of absolute certainty, to have the character that God promises to work in us, love, joy, peace, patience, these kinds of things. We want to have that. We want closeness with God, to trust Him and His will more fully, to understand what is He doing in our lives. For me, I just have been thinking about this a lot I'm 46 years old, and as I talk to people who are 56, 66, and beyond, friends and mentors and that sort of thing, and when they talk about their lives, sometimes I get a little disappointed because they're still on the journey. They're still learning to trust. They're like, I haven't arrived yet. Things are hard. I'm trying to figure this out, but I'm trusting in Jesus, and I'm growing in faith. And I'm like, oh man, you mean we don't arrive? (laughs) Yes, we do grow. Yes, God changes us. But when Abram stepped out in faith, trusting God, believing him, when God called him, it was the beginning of the journey. He had new things to learn, new ways to grow for God to work in him and through him all the way until the end. As Abram's story goes on, we'll see. His, His journey is not straightforward. He sinned. He doubted. He failed, he feared, he questioned God, he didn't understand God. All this is meant to show us a map. Expect a journey not to arrive in this life. And my Christian friends, just a real quick application for us, just to think about, if this is true, then we all must be very cautious and very aware because we might say, of course, right? We know it's about the journey. We know it's a journey. We don't arrive. We're not perfect until the end. But there are many ways we can say, no, it's not a journey without saying the words, it's not a journey. Things like this. When in a church, when in a community, when in a family, it's, we say with our reaction and our words, it's not safe to be 
a sinner here, a real sinner, a doubter, a real doubter, somebody who has questions to express these to God, to cry out to God, how long, where are you, to say things like Job did in the book of Job, which we've been reading, to not be certain, to need time to process, to be afraid, to be confused about God, to be disappointed. And so we need to guard as those who are on the journey, how we react and respond to other people who are on the journey as well. Well, that's that's point one, expect a journey. Secondly, expect trials on the journey. Verse 10 and following teach us something specific we should expect. Look at verse 10. It kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Right? Famine. There was famine in the land. It just doesn't make sense. Famine? God, you said go from your land and your relatives and all that you have to the land I will show you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And you'll be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Abram's like, okay, let's do it. Yes. After a journey that he took from the very northern tip of the promised land. Okay, now what, God? We're going down to the southern land. He went all the way through the land. What's going to happen now? Famine. Famine? God? Famine? Is that, is that on the map? He's pulling out the map. Wait. That's not what I thought. You know, what was Abraham thinking at this point in his journey? One commentator put it really, really well. I think I have a slide there, Gavin. John Calvin said, what must have been Abram, what was he thinking, his thoughts? Had he not been well fortified against the devices of Satan, an old-fashioned way of saying, unless he was like really, really prepared for this, which he wasn't, then his faith would have been overturned a hundred times. And we know what, that whenever our expectation is frustrated and things do not succeed according to our wishes, our flesh soon harps on this string. God has deceived thee. This seems to make sense that Abraham was thinking, God, have you deceived me? I didn't think this was going to be on the map. Have you ever felt that way, that your faith is being overturned a hundred times? God, I thought you were going to show me the land, make me a nation. I didn't expect a famine. How could famine possibly be a part of the plan? Kids, if you have your kids' bulletin, look at the front. You see the map on the front? Look at the map. Pull it out. You see that one path that goes down here to the little lake? <laughs> like, there's a dead end. Like, this is not the way to go. How did we get here? Hold on. Not that one, Gavin. Not yet. <laughs> this, this is for the kids. God, did you lead me here to this little dead end pond? Scholars of Abram's story say, here's what you need to know about the story of Abraham. He faced 10 trials, 10 tests along the way. 
Now, this is a tough test, and it's just number two. How did Abraham do on this test? What did he do? He went to Egypt, it says in verse 10, to stay there for a while. That phrase, most scholars think, means to sojourn, to settle. It meant he didn't really, it didn't indicate that he's planning to go back. He says, I'm just, I'm leaving. I'm going over here. Should he have done this? Going to Egypt is never a positive step in the Bible. Some of you know the story of the Bible. It didn't turn out well for Abram either. He was afraid going in. If you look at verse 11, he said to Sarai, his wife, you're beautiful. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, that's his wife. And they'll kill me and they'll take you. So how about you say, you are my sister. And it will go well for me. Interesting plan. But it kind of worked for Abram, not for Sarai. Abram was right. They did do it. They saw her. They said, she's beautiful. And they took her. She said she was his sister. Which is partially kind of half true. They have a family tree where they were related. But it was Abram hiding the full truth. They took her to Pharaoh. Things did go well for Abram. He didn't get killed. He got a bunch of wealth somehow out of it, but he wasn't in the land. He jeopardized his offspring through who God said to him in verse 7, chapter 12, through your offspring, the promise will come. By letting his own wife be kidnapped, he was not a blessing to the nations. Instead, he brought a curse to the nations, to Egypt. What is going on? (laughs) As a whole, this passage paints a picture of a lack of faith and fear, of lying and selfishness. Abraham failed the test. He failed the trial. Right after he passed the first test, which was a big one, one of the greatest acts of faith ever. Remember, Abram is the founding father of a whole people as he sets out to the unknown and begins his journey of faith. It's an amazing step. And then right after that, he fails. One of my professors commenting on that makes the simple statement about the Bible's honesty. Even the greatest hero of faith sometimes fails. Bruce Waltke said that. The Bible's very honest about Abram, about all the characters, all the great heroes. It's a lot like the father of the church, Peter. When Peter made a great confession of faith to Jesus, when he said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm going to build the church on you, Peter. And then like a minute later, he said, get behind me, Satan, because Peter lacked the faith to trust in the way of suffering to bring the kingdom. So it's a lot lot like us, right? Great faith one moment, fear the next, which should encourage us. Abram's story had trials and failure. Expect trials, but you can also expect not always to pass the trial with flying colors. We should expect failure. That's here on the map. It's not a disqualification. If you look at Genesis 13, how did the story end? One through three. It says he resumed the journey. He went back to where he had started. 
he realized he had acted in fear, not in faith, when God made it very clear to him. And he went back to the land, and there he called on the name of the Lord, and the Lord received him. On a map, we would call this a U-turn. So, Gavin, you can put that picture up. If you can see that, Abram just made, he made a U-turn. He stepped out in fear and a lack of faith. But the Lord brought him back to himself in repentance. Some people have given a very wrong and damaging view of what Christianity teaches, of what's, what the map is. Something like, if you follow this, these teachings and do these things, you will avoid trials, you will avoid suffering, you will avoid trouble. Just have faith. You can see how damaging this can be because if you face a trial, if something doesn't work out, if famine comes and you fail, you think there's only two options. Number one, I'm off the map. It's my fault and I'm not a real Christian. Or you can say this map didn't work out and just toss it to the side. Here we see Abram's faith led him to trials. Faith led Israel into the wilderness. Faith led Jesus into the wilderness as well to face trials. We need the right map. This is it. Expect trials on the journey. One more picture. And I think uh, this is a map uh, representing the story of Pilgrim's Progress. One thing we can do for one another, one thing we need to do for ourselves is recover uh, the right map. And there are great resources that we have, one such being Pilgrim's Progress, which narrates a map which is very different than the map we might receive in our culture, in our time, in our American dream map. This is not the American dream map, that if you just try hard enough and get a good education and do the right thing, everything will work out for you. This map tells us about the palace beautiful, that's good, the pleasant meadow, but it also says there is a slough of despond, a valley of humiliation, a hill of difficulty, and a doubting castle. The reason we need this is to know what to expect, what the journey will be like, and how God will meet us in the journey, which is our third point. This is you're wondering, where's the encouragement? It's a journey. I'll never arrive. There's going to be trials. Where's the encouragement? It's right here. Why are tests and trials a part of the journey? Well, just like a test we take in school, yay, we love tests, right? Nobody loves tests that much, but we need tests because they show us two things. One, what we get wrong, they show us our error, but also a test shows us the answer, (laughs) the thing that we need to learn, the thing that is right. It shows us both of those things. It's the same way in our tests of faith, our trials of faith, what they showed Abram here and in all his other tests. One, what is your faith really in, Abraham? And two, how God will show and prove his faithfulness to you, Abram, and to us. How do I know what my faith is really in? We can say we have faith. We can say we're trusting God. How do I know how deep and strong it is? How do we find out? 
When a test or a trial comes, where do we look for wisdom? Where do I look for comfort? Where do I go to escape? When I'm afraid and unsure, where do I go for security? You won't really, really, really know until you face it. And that's why the journey includes trials. But tests and trials are not just for us to learn about ourselves and our faith. They are for us to learn more about God and His grace and His faithfulness, even in our struggles and failure. This is, friends, this is a story of Abraham, and we're looking at the story of Abraham, and we trace his character, but more, that, more than that, and more importantly than that, this is a story about God. He is the main character even here. His faithfulness to his promise, back in chapter 12, 12, 7, through your offspring, through your offspring, Abram, I'm going to bless you and bless the nations. This story is saying he's not going to let Abram's fear or lack of faith cancel the promise that he made. In, in chapter 13, 3 and 4, what did Abram learn about God? And what are we to learn? God uses Pharaoh and Abram's fearful disobedience to accomplish his purpose and move his promise forward. Now think of the original readers of this book, of the book of Genesis. They are the Israelites who came out of Egypt and slavery and oppression to Pharaoh. What? God can use the actions of Pharaoh and time in Egypt even to accomplish his purposes, to overcome our unfaithfulness and get us back on track. God can use our Lack of faith, our faithlessness, our fear, our sin, our selfishness even, to teach us, to deepen our faith, to show us His grace despite our faithlessness, our unbelief and sin. God rescues Sarai. He can keep His promise through your offspring, Abram. God gives Abram more resources. That's crazy. We don't even know how to. Why? God gets Abram back on track. And most importantly, Back to himself. That's where it ends. Abram went back and he called on the name of the Lord and the Lord heard and received him back. Expect God's faithfulness throughout the journey, friends. You can count on it. You can bank on it. Even when you don't see it, when it's famine, even when you drift in Egypt, even when you wander into deceit, lying, selfishness, expect God's faithfulness. Now, Why? Because God made a promise. When someone makes you a promise and you believe in it and when you trust it, something happens between you and that other person. You and your life gets joined and connected to that other person and in their life in a powerful way. Let me explain. The bigger the promise, the stronger and the bigger the connection in the union. So if I said... To a family member, I promise to put clothes in the dryer, and I don't do it. Well, that person would say, I needed those clothes, (laughs) and you promised me to have those clothes, so now your promise and your lack of faithfulness on the promise is affecting me because I don't have clothes. I was counting on you. That's a small connection. But if somebody says, I promise to always be there for you, no matter what, that's a big promise. Your lives are connected in a big way. 
so that what happens to you when you struggle and when you fail, it's not just saying something about you. It's also saying something about them and their promise. Will they be there? How does Abram wind up back in the land with his wife, back with God? It's because God promised, to your offspring I will give this land. My blessing will be restored to you and through you will come blessing to the nations because I'm going to keep my promise. Even when you are faithless, Abram, I will be faithful. When we enter into relationship with God by faith in his promise, our lives are joined to God in such a way that whatever happens to us on our journey, when we struggle, when we fail, it's not just about us, it's about him. It's about him proving his faithfulness to his promise to be faithful. This offspring, this son that God promised who would bring blessing, restoration to the world, who would one day be Isaac, is just a foreshadow of how the Bible says that promise is fulfilled and completed in Abram's greater son, greater offspring, Jesus Christ. I want to put a passage up as we close here from 2 Timothy. When the Apostle Paul faced his final trial at the end of his life and journey, he told Timothy, this is what I tell myself to hold on to my faith in trials. He said this in 2 Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He tells Timothy here, Timothy, when you're on the journey, when trials come, remember Jesus Christ, remember the gospel. And what is being said here is so profound. If we can just grasp it a little bit, it'll completely change the way that we live, especially when trials come. The map, this is the map. And when we're on the map, and even if we are faithless, He, Jesus Christ, remains faithful. Why? How? He says, because He cannot disown Himself. That when our faith is in Jesus and in His promise, for Jesus not to be faithful to us, even when we are faithless, it would be for Jesus to deny and disown his very own self, which is impossible. So to be connected and to be united to Jesus is such that our lives and our journey are so connected to him that he says, here's what I'm going to promise to do for you. Your life will be a testimony of my faithfulness wherever you go. Even when you lose your grip on me, I will not lose my grip on you. To believe the gospel, the promise, is to have the greatest guarantee of God's faithfulness we could ever imagine. For Jesus not to be faithful to his promise would be for Jesus to disown 
his own self. So no matter, friends, where we are, where we will be, on the journey, on the map, we have every reason to believe that the one who came to live for us, die for us, and rise again for us will be faithful to us. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray for all of us as we've just looked at your word together, which shows us a story and, and gives us this promise that wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever happens, if our trust is in you, if we have placed our faith in your son, even when we feel like we're losing it and can barely hold on, that you will be faithful to us until the end. I pray we grab a hold of that and take it and treasure it up in our hearts and remember it for those who are right now in a, in a trial and a test and struggling. Would they grab a hold of it by your spirit and be strengthened. And for all of us on our journey, may we remember when we're so caught up in looking at ourselves and where we are and our questions and our doubts and our struggles that you would give us by your spirit, the ability to look to you and to remember. You will not fail to keep any of your promises to us. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.